Welcome back to another episode of You Can Grad School. I am Dustin, and I'm joined here by Kate, who is all the way in her apartment. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. not that didn't work, but that I mean worked. we're all in our apartments. Yeah. So um, we're happy to be joining you in your apartment today for whatever you're doing. Um, it's beautiful here, and it's like it finally feels like fall, um, which it feels like very like start of semester for the first time you know like i always equate like the start of like your primary elementary school year is more of a time yeah yeah it is it is always good to like you usually affiliate the season and when it starts like getting a little bit cooler you're like all right this is school time i'm but, ready to work <laughs> yeah but everything is inside and indoors and it doesn't matter because we're all staring at computer screens like it's some weird new reality I did try like earlier today and went to work outside at a place where like I could drink coffee and like work with Wi-Fi. Yeah. But it was like a little too cold to work outside. So it had this like really sad moment. Okay. Well, there are clear downsides. Um, There's this like big outing. Like I wore like real people clothes and I had this thought that every once in a while, like back when I was working in Illinois, I dress up to go to my office, uh, to sit alone inside of <laughs> no one for eight hours but at least when i was like walking to work it didn't feel like i'd like wear like heels or something or like i'd wear like a dress um but it didn't feel weird because like people thought i was going to work or thought i might be going to something like the people around me and so i was like dressing up for pandemic times equals jeans and a button-down shirt and i was like ooh, like this would look great with like a like small like wedge. And then I realized if someone saw me like out walking and they'd be like, she has nowhere to go. Like we're in a pandemic. Like where is she going? There's no point. And so, and so I put on my Ithaca wear AKA socks and made my way down and was cold for about an hour. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Dustin, your big update is on your dissertation. Yeah. So my, a uh, proposal for my dissertation is practically complete. If you are on my committee and you're listening to this podcast, um, why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. You're way cooler than this. But my my proposal is just about done. So the next step is to send this document that I've been working on for months to my committee, and then they will review it. And then in just a couple of weeks, I will have a two hour meeting where I'll like do a little presentation and then they'll ask questions and we'll have a big discussion around my work, uh, which is can be very scary and intimidating. But at the same time, it's awesome. Like this is going to be one of the few times where you get people in your field that you respect that that know your work very well and they are potentially experts in the field, and they are able to look at your work and review it, critique it, provide good support for you moving forward. I don't think there will really be another point in your career where you'll have that eye um, from experts, which is really, I think if you take that lens, and I think this is different between divisions uh, across universities and whatnot, but if you have that lens going in where they're there to support you and to support the science, 
then it's really exciting. Like that is that is going to be awesome. We think that reviews do that, uh, but they don't. They're just three random people who may or may not know anything about what the paper's actually about. But these are definitely people who, don't care about you. <laughs> not at all. No, they they just want it to get out of their face, basically, <laughs> the paper. But your your committee members are going to be all about it and want to support you and the growth of the science and you as a researcher. So I'm super excited about it. And I've got some really awesome committee members. And I'm really excited to see what they have to say and uh, how I can actually pull this project off, which seems really cool and overwhelming. Um, something that Kate and I, Kate has been involved in this since the like we first started thinking about this idea. And eventually it will see the light of day. And you might hear about it on the podcast, but for right now, it's a mystery. Or you could just look yeah. at like previous Twitter <laughs> threads that I've had. Consistent with previous work. Um, yeah. No, but like, I, I don't know. I find that so It's kind of like the, I don't know, it, correct me if I'm wrong and, or like edit as appropriate, but like, I feel like the major grad school milestones are obviously getting in, um, usually like a first year, like a project your A exams or like whatever your quals are or yeah. qualifying exams are. And then this is like the penultimate step towards defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is what my entire body of research has led to. And then you're like, all right, let's, let's do it. Um, which is like, like you said, it's really cool to see like how you and I are at different processes throughout grad school. And like you were able, you, started grad school which is one of the first big hurdles and like super great and huge and then around the same time i'm proposing my dissertation so we're at different points in our career but we're here to tell you how to make your life better yeah, not you Kate, you listener <laughs> no i am also <laughs> um, i'm just telling you how to get through the first to the first step um What's which, the first, you know, like getting into grad getting school? Getting in, getting in, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which took a fair amount of time for me. So, like, I hope every step doesn't also take, but um, I do feel like it's exciting to see you go through this because, like, I think there's this, the people who I've known who have, like, done their dissertation or something like that, um, they're not people I know well, and they're people who are, like, a bunch of years older than me like they were doing it they were grad students when I was an undergrad it's like totally different life stage and although it's like a long way until like I will ever be <laughs> till I will be I'm just like positive uh <laughs> defending or like proposing a dissertation there's something like that makes it feel more possible like knowing someone who is doing it and who like is excited about their work interested in something that I'm also interested in. So it's like, oh, there's like room for me to do this. There's like room for, I, I can do this, um, but it's you, gonna take a you while. You can and grad school. Oh uh, yeah, you can grad school. YCGS as I like to say. Yeah, there you go. As I've never ever said. Um, no, not out loud. We always tweet or text about it. But yeah, it is, it is really cool. Like I, Similarly, uh, all of the grad students when I came in were older in the lab 
and they were either at the point of already proposing and I like kind of knew them and knew their research and now they're off doing really great and cool things. Um, but this is really one of the closest things. I mean, it's the closest because it's my work. <laughs> you can't really get much closer than that. Um, but it is really cool. It's a whole new process and it's, it's exciting to be excited about a project that is new that I'm developing that Kate has helped out with and other people Shout out to Elisa, if you're listening. Hi, Elisa. If you're on a hiring committee, if you are a member of faculty, why are you listening to us? But also, you should hire Elisa. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I think that's really cool. And also, um, I'm just sort of wondering, start data collection. Like, uh, this all goes through, and then you'll start data collection, like, immediately. Is that kind of like... I, uh, I don't know. Um, because I, I first should probably get IRB approval. <laughs> that would be a good thing to get. Um, yeah. And there are just like some other things like I, it would be great to be able to compensate people, but I don't think that it is always necessary in the the type of stuff that I'm doing. So like given some of those decisions, then it could be a lot sooner than, than not. Um, so I'm hoping to do like an online data collection and get lots of people that way. But who knows? And there's always this question, which is really interesting within research right now, of how does the pandemic impact these things that we're studying? Um, but even beyond that, like it's so much in our face right now of the data that we're collecting and the samples that we're getting. Like how generalizable is this? But that should always be a question when you're doing research, when you're collecting data, like how generalizable is the sample before we just kind of accepted it and nobody would really put that question out there. But now because of this pandemic, that it seems more apparent and in your face. Um, but it'll just be interesting. Like there are different ways that you can look at it and think about it. Um, and we'll see what my committee has to say about that. Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you bring that up because it's something I keep returning have, I don't know, like months or so, which is like historicizing and how that works to uh, our advantage or when you should do this in research, when you should um, add context to past work. And I think, you know, there's not, we don't rely on research collected in the 1920s that I know of. I think back to like, there are ways that impacts like certain things like social effects or like social effects on like um you know speaking to our experiences like psychological research you also have ways where it can be more potentially i don't want to use this but like empirical not empirical but like more biologically based for example like temperatures are like the average temperature has been lowered or like the guidelines for what a normal like human body temperature range is is now mm -hmm. different because it was collected during a certain time period with a certain group of people. And so like contextualizing things isn't new to us. I just think we don't always do a good job including it or like knowing when to include it. And so to be like, oh, like it's a pandemic. Like, well, what are other periods that were high stress for a large group of people? Maybe after the 2016 election when you had these like reports that a lot of people weren't doing as well, like these, mental health declines, um, things like that happening. And um, 
when is it appropriate to, what is it appropriate to think about and when is it less so or how um how long are our findings also relevant for too i think is something i don't always think about and it makes you feel like the research you're doing is is ephemeral but it kind of is anyway so <laughs> yeah this is something that i've like started thinking about more i think in how certain fields seem to be think they're more immune or not in in psychology in particular uh to these things like i think a lot of especially statisticians or quantitative psych people tend to view that as like a very objective movement and things like that and you're able to say oh well i have a number and that reflects reality when there are a lot of inferences that have to be made before you're able to get to that point um and then a lot of like our statistics were created by bad people <laughs> i don't know what else what other word i was going to say there but mean it, people no. yeah no i like your <laughs> i like your the ob objectivity was the was the word i was looking for but stumbled on empirical which is completely incorrect but like i think in a lot of science we think things are more objective than they are and um i like to think that training in psychology leads you to be skeptical of that and i hope that's that's something i've come away with at least is like what do we know is objective there's that mark twain quote that i might have said brought up before which is there's lies damn lies and statistics so you have to be critical of the people doing the work as well um and again I, maybe we have this conversation, maybe I've been, just been having it with a ton of people. I think it's also this is there's an increase with like more misunderstanding of scientists and science and there's more skepticism in science. You just have to be so careful. And um, science communication, which we talked about before is such a huge part of that. So you do a great job talking about these things and um, I think your area where your dissertation is, there's a lot of like misinformation and people doing wild things. And so I think it's, it'll be really important and I'm excited. Yeah, you. it'll be really fun to like all the conversations that we've had and in talking with Elisa too, just like how, how we think about these things and what is it that we are thinking about and how does that inform research future research and other practices um with therapy or policy implications moving forward uh i think it, it it is really interesting and like when should we update our science kind of the thing that you were talking about like we have this idea that science is objective and it's supposed to be pretty stable over time but i don't think it is and a lot of the times we accept these truths which may not be i don't know <laughs> no it's that, great and it's like it's exactly what my like stuff i've been thinking about for putting together my nsf and like being yeah. critical of that area and so i think that's it's something i've been obsessing on and so it's good to <laughs> to talk about i think that that level of skepticism that you talked about is varies a lot between researchers too and between students and how much they are 
able to tolerate that because at times it can feel like your entire career is like falling apart in a way where you're like becoming overly critical to the point where nothing seems like it's true. And that can be like, if you go too far, that can be how it feels sometimes. Um, and then you just, <laughs> is that where you're at right now? I, I vastly, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I haven't read from cover to cover, uh, the seven deadly sins of psychology by Chris Chambers, which is a great book from the pieces of it that I've read. Um, the reason I haven't read the whole thing is I think sometimes it gets a, it's a little hard to move forward on all the stuff you want to do and things you want to do when you're like, none of this matters because it's all built on a like deeply problematic system, which I know isn't like Chris Chambers. It's like more positive yeah. than that. But um, when he's like, like the idea that this is all built on a, what is pillars of sand or something like that uh, mm -hmm. gets in my head and I'm like, Oh, well, what's the point? Uh, <laughs> or you're like, there are so many things that, need to be changed in order to for science to move forward and hopefully throughout like listening to us we'll be able to focus on particular pieces that you as a graduate student can do realistically and like last time we talked about or two episodes ago it will be uh we talked about pre-registration and like being transparent open is one piece of it um but it sounds like measurement and things there is, is also a huge foundation and kate you're working on your nsf right now and so how applying to the NSF important i feel like that'd be great uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i it's been really interesting um the application is due in like a month and change um and so it's this thing where I think like last week I was like, Oh God, I got to finish this tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Cause I was still thinking of like it, like in terms of like graduate school applications where you have to get letters from people who have put all this together mm -hmm. for 20 different programs. And so it's kind of nice to be, even though it's a totally new challenge and something I'm not familiar with and have to start from scratch in some ways. It's kind of great because my workload last year was applying to 20 different places. So it meant 20 different variations of essays, oh um, writing, I know, right? Like writing diversity statements, filling out 20 different, it, it didn't end up being 20. I think it was like, like 12 or somewhere, 12 to 14 or something like that. But um, so I'm exaggerating, but a lot of people do fill out 20. Um, just mm -hmm. didn't have the stamina. Um, and then like you have to ask three people to three to four people to write you and submit 10 to 12 to 20 um, letters of recommendation. And so this just asking people for one is such a relief. It feels like I'm not asking everyone to drop everything to help me. Um, that being said, it's also, I was up in the air whether I was gonna submit next year or this year. Um, but the big thing for me was, it's just a good time to think about these things and it's gonna guide my research and my research questions anyway, but taking the time to design a study, you know, I'll have to do it anyway, but starting so soon, it like is a good way to list my like strengths, um, what is easy for me and like what I can easily envision myself doing. And then the parts where I'm weak, like, I don't know how to do power analysis. Like, I don't know how to like uh, half of these things and like coming up with like 
even if it's not something that might be included in my application, but a statistical and analytic plan for the data that I will collect is uh, pretty overwhelming. And okay. I know you've been, that's the kind of stuff you have to do for your dissertation proposal, am I right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're nodding. Uh, right. I forget we're not, <laughs> you can't see us. Um, but that kind of stuff just feels like a mixture of exciting and overwhelming. And I know I'm going to have like a lot of helping hands along the way, but um, it's been cool. And it's also, uh, I guess I can, I can share a little bit of what it's going to be about. So um, I'm hoping to evaluate through like an app that I'll make maybe. Um, with shiny app is that right uh i don't i maybe that's like a yeah you can do a lot of different things or through i think we were talking about using former too oh right that, yeah through like uh so these are all like free pieces that you can get and um so yeah developing an app Yes. So that's one of the things where I'm like, well, that's a pretty easy to identify weakness. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to use uh, uh, to do like some menstrual cycle tracking and look at mood and physiological symptoms and things like that. Um, what's super exciting about this and has gotten me thinking about the historical aspect is a lot of our models on mental health and physical health are based off of like male models. And I'm not talking like Chippendale, but like um but um okay uh i thought that was pretty good you know like tip and nail dancers male models Derek Zoolander. Yeah. okay you just I, no I, reaction no, i got it but i just immediately thought of chris farley and his chip yeah. and nail sketch so you were visualizing that okay so yeah. um but not in fact zoolander but um more like hansel or rats so male rats um are the basis for a lot of our understanding of biological functioning how it relates to like medicine um there's this interesting thing i was reading about the other day called yentl syndrome so um and i guess it's based off of my advisor told me this is based off of a barbara streisand movie the name um mm -hmm. where she thinks it is so uh basically that was, that's, do you ahead. know well, I think it was Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin in the second Deadpool movie. Barbara Streisand is Josh Brolin's like stepmom, I think, or is related somehow. So Ryan Reynolds would just start singing asp like scenes from the movie. Really? During, during production. Yeah, just to get under Josh Brolin's skin. That's amazing. I also like surprised when you were like, yeah, Yentl syndrome. I was like from Barbara Streisand movie. I was like, I didn't know you were a fan of her work. Uh, nope. Just I like Ryan Reynolds and Josh Brolin. So that's where that came in. Um, but yeah, I know. So it's like when you present um, with male symptoms, if women present with like more typical male syndromes for things like, you know, heart attack, they're more likely to get better treatment than if they present with like female specific or female typed um, physical symptoms to things like heart attack is the main one. Um, so, and if I butchered that and you're listening and you know better what Yentl, you know what Yentl syndrome is and I just did a terrible job, add us at can underscore grad, tell me I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, uh, that's been a huge piece of interest for like area of interest for me. And so to kind of, start to correct the record and 
say like, hey, we're going to like look critically at our assumptions of how the mood is related to menstrual cycles for the majority of women, not just like the small number of women that are uh, experience like a lot of mood disruption across the cycle, who in media apparently are all women um, as represented by popular culture. Um, but it's just been really fun. And reading about these things and thinking about it has been an exciting, I was going to say journey, but that's just really cheesy. And so it's been an exciting time in my life. Yeah, no, that fits. It is a journey. I think it, it's, we're all on a journey. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, it's the, it sounds like that initial planning and organization. And that is the part that is mainly in what you're doing right now is like figuring mm -hmm. out these ideas, how they go together, how you can study it. And then on, on my end, it's more on like having that background, but then how, like specifically, what do you do to study it? And a little bit more on, okay, what would happen if you got these findings? And so then I need to be prepared to talk about those things, um, which I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> what all of that means. So is it kind of like a registered report? It basically can be. And I've heard uh, some advisors or some people on committees, when a dissertation is proposed, they will require it to be a registered report in order for it to be accepted. Uh, so That's like, cool. yeah, I mean, basically, a, a, a dissertation proposal is a elongated pre-registration. And then if you're able to go that next step and say, you can have uh, a results section put in place. Like those were conversations that I've been having with my advisor of, well, what do we do now? Like I've written all this after the, the meeting, can we turn this into a registered report somewhere? Um, so like starting to look into places that would accept this type of work who can also do register, who also do registered reports. Um, but that number is growing. So I think any, anything that I can do will be cool. <laughs> that sounded that's really awesome. No, that's right. cool. I, no, I like that. Um, I'm curious how many, um, I wonder if there are numbers on how many, at least in psychology, this might not relate to all um, disciplines, but uh, dissertations have to be original data collection that you yourself collect. Can you do secondary data analysis or is that not? No, I think you can. Uh, and it might be field specific. It might be. Um, university specific might be people on your committee that might demand new data collection but like i think i've seen a couple that were just were not just that were secondary data analysis plans um and you think about like developmental work where you're getting a longitudinal sample you can't expect someone in their final few years to, can you imagine yeah to do a whole longitudinal study um, but like it, it could sometimes programs will have you start something as a master's and then that as you expand it and collect more data that becomes a dissertation. So I think there are different ways to go about doing that. But yeah, I think it's all kind of can be all over the place in where the data is coming from. That's awesome. So that's exciting and that you're collecting your own. Uh, probably a little intimidating. <laughs> I think it's going to be because it's so short. I think it's going to be a little bit, I think getting the people will be the overwhelming part. Getting it all set up, I feel pretty good about. 
Um, Just like how you feel, how do you feel about proposing to make, make an app that will revolutionize? Uh, No, (laughs) I think it's going to be a huge challenge. I like, just to be like super frank, I think I'm going to need to do two things. One of which is ask for a lot of help along the way um, from you, just you. uh, It's nice to have someone uh, to be, I'm dating someone who is like done CS stuff and is an electrical engineer. So therefore has some more computer competencies than me. And so um, still like, I think something, I think it's a skill I've gotten over the last couple of years, which is a huge benefit towards like having time in between undergrad and graduate school, which is I'm both more resourceful than I used to be. And I'm also better asking for help when I've reached a dead end. and then the second thing is just like get really comfortable being uncomfortable with like something that I'm trying to do and failing at repeatedly. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'll keep, I'll continue to give you guys updates if it gets funded. I mean, either way, uh, I'm planning on moving forward with the study. So I guess I just hope I get money for it. <laughs> Which, like, that is super awesome. It sounds like you and your advisor have a really great relationship and that your advisor is super supportive of developing these ideas and identifying how much of an impact they could have if you move it forward. And so it sounds like regardless of this NSF funding system, which is always feels like a coin toss. um, But regardless of that, it sounds like this is a a go. Yeah. And again, I think that's like, this is a good, Thing to discuss too is like I also feel really grateful because like I'm at an institution where there are a fair amount of resources and I think um, I have to look into this but I think there's some funding available for first year projects or for like master's level projects like a very small amount but like that matters a lot and just like being at an institution where there are a lot of resources is something I'm really grateful for and I was looking at some Twitter stuff today which is looking at like hiring, I don't know if you saw this, um, and right. how, oh, okay, well, some, it's just talking about how, like, a big thing with, like, getting grants, and how you look at that with, like, faculty hiring, is that people aren't acknowledging enough how hard it is to get grants, and um, the fact that, like, a lot of places where you're able to get grants, it's because you already are an, in an institution, for example, like, Harvard, Harvard is one of those examples where they just are constantly funded. And um, that may not be uh, an institution that needs all of that extra funding where it could be, it could do a lot of good at another institution with less of a name brand kind of place uh, where you could do a lot of good. And this wasn't necessarily the conversation they're talking about, like that it's more impressive to be able to make things happen at a um, less funded institution. But, you know, it's something I'm like mindful of and I want to be continue to be like really grateful for um, since it will enable me to do a lot of cool stuff. So um, I hope that I can also like pay it forward by like sharing, like I don't have like a lot of financial resources, obviously, but uh, intellectual resources. What's the word? Functional resources? I don't know. Free resources. But whatever you're talking about, that's what I have too. (laughs) And hence us doing this podcast and wanting to share this information with people. Uh, 
and like getting it out there as free and accessible as possible. Um, because yeah, things can be open, they can be free, but that accessibility piece is something that we seem to consistently grapple with, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just been interesting and taking a class on poverty. It's called poverty, childhood and the environment. And you look at how these things sometimes just really multiply and have these cascading effects. And I think, you know, it's, you know, it's not in the same way as like poverty where you have these other things. Um, well, you could say it is, I'm going to lose track of myself, but like, just like having resources available to you in undergrad or post back. Um, or not having them can exacerbate already existing differences. So mm -hmm. we talk about this probably ad nauseum, but it's just um, it's something I'm trying to be mindful of. And I think we both are and trying to like close that gap a little bit. Yeah. I think these are not talked about enough. Like we can talk about them a lot, but I don't feel like the field recognizes it as much as it should. And just in like how you're talking about, hiring faculty members and which institutions tend to get grants just based on name alone that's one of those like the rich get richer kind of things totally and, like inequity across universities which is really unfortunate and then a lot of underrepresented students will then go to the potentially less funded less like name brand institutions and then are put right in the same place there is still still inequity that's in play oh totally and like the ability to even like the fact that like grants are both hard to get um not are you know to a degree super random and who gets picked it's not the best idea wins um and also like at a third level like if you are someone who you're a graduate student at a university where there's not a lot of funding available for you for your stipend you might have to take a second job mm -hmm. and that's the time that's going to eat up your like grant writing ability or having time to like generate all these cool great ideas and you know i think sometimes the conversation ends after you get into grad school and there's this universal acceptance that everyone in grad school is equally like poor and struggling but like that's just so not the case and not true at all right like and i just again it's like another field problem i don't really i'm gonna make another enemy apa like what are you doing uh like, I don't know, they don't talk enough about that. They had Dr. Phil on a couple, like, I don't know, a decade ago to give a keynote speak, speech. Um, that's just some of the problems I have with the APA. Um, is it now, are there two enemies? Is it APA and Dr. Phil or just APA you're starting with? Oh, you know what? I mean, yeah, like, no, add Dr. no, Dr. Phil gets added to the list. That's an okay. easy one. Okay. Dr. Phil, if you're listening to this, you got beef. I should have said it with more confidence. It's like a question. <laughs> we have beef if you would like it. We, well, I just like realized how dumb it sounds me saying we've got beef. And so halfway through, I was like, oh. Or it's like that song. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Like, I'm a vegetarian and I'm not scared of Dr. Phil. Um, but yeah, I just think like if we wanted as a field to like address these issues and if the APA wanted to be a little less toothless, then I wish like 
that would be something they could prioritize. Or if they do prioritize it, I'm not hearing about it. So I will continue not to give them money. Yeah, there's a lot of... Are you a member of that the sounds good. I'm down with that. I'm not a member of anything. I don't have money to send to be affiliated with anything. Yeah, I once sent a very impassioned plea. I was lit to uh, SRA. Um, and I was like, listen, like, I'm neither an undergrad nor graduate student. I'm a post back, but I'm just trying to submit my paper. I just, or like, or I'm just trying to submit a poster. And I think it's really unfair mm -hmm. that you don't have a designation for post backs. And I sent like a, like four paragraph email that was like vacillating between like, I was trying to be really polite, but it was also like, I just like, here's my case. And then she sent back one sentence. Yeah. She's like, just like sign in as if you're a graduate student. <laughs> <laughs> they're like we don't care okay yeah and that's like that's kind of like the other racket too like all these like societies that you have to join um mm -hmm. in order to get the in order to like register for the um society meetings to attend and like submit a poster in order to like do the cheaper option that's not insane you have to like they're like okay well like for grad students it's only 15 dollars, but only if you're a member and the membership is like $90 for a year. So I've repeatedly been a member for one year just to submit a poster, which is just like, I don't know, just kind of absurd. Yeah. The whole like presenting posters and traveling to conferences is such a, I don't understand it. Like I, I get it from an intellectual point where it's good to have these meetings where you can talk about these things but financially it is so disruptive to underrepresented students in particular and it, it it's again like if you are fortunate enough to be able to afford to go to multiple conferences you're going to be seen favorably by those in charge of faculty hiring or postdoc hiring or other other positions where you're going to continue to gain social capital intellectual capital and like that i don't like that yeah no i <laughs> i i've been thinking about that too because what's i also think like the whole and we've talked about how posters sessions can be outdated but like also like how conferences are a little outdated because it used to be a place where you could interface with like pis and like researchers and like that can happen but i feel like there's such a degree of like, there's so few professors who attend and PIs, mm -hmm. and there are so many postbacs, undergrads, and graduate students because the expectation now is insane for you to even get into grad school. So, like, it was, I knew it was important for me to go to a conference as an undergrad. And although it was a great conference, and like, I really like felt so lucky to attend and I learned a lot, it was the kind of conference where like, it wasn't like geared towards me. And so like I might've taken up resources or like taken up capital and like, I didn't, I wasn't at a place where I could like a uh, network, oh, network um, with PIs, um, but it did create this, I helped contribute to this environment where it was just overpopulated with one group of students and then underpopulated with the people who really, um, feel guilty about saying like need to because you know there are so many strains on faculty time as well but uh, we just got to mm -hmm. find a better way of creating opportunities for people to 
reach out to and learn from PIs, which I think is why Twitter is so great. But you shouldn't have to pay $200 to stand at a poster and drink you know, $200 in fees and then like $400 to travel and stay at a hotel to eat cheese that's been sitting out for an hour and drink wine, which is admittedly okay um, <laughs> at a conference where you're not going to interface with anyone except for your friends who also attended the conference with you and maybe a few people. It might be good for some like lateral um, networking, but other than that, I don't know. And maybe maybe there are longer term things that we don't see, but. No, I don't think so. I, <laughs> yeah, we can, I'm sure we'll have an episode just dedicated to this and like, but yeah, the, I think I went to, I went to two conferences in the whole time that I've been in graduate school. However, I have had posters presented at four. So I submitted and I was lucky enough to have other people going and they were able to hang up my poster so I could say on my CV that I attended this, that my poster was presented at this conference. The other two, they were like within driving distance and I didn't have to pay a whole lot of money. Um, so there's just like no incentive, it seems like, order. If there is support from your university, it's like, oh, we'll give you $100, but we'll give it to you in six months after you have gone to the conference, you've gotten back, and you had to get all of your, get all of your paperwork together and submit it to us. And then we lost it. And then we had you submit it again. And then we found it. And then turns out we ran out of money. So you don't actually get the $100. It's absolute absurdity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, I think it ends up being nine times out of 10. It's just like something to add to your CV. And if we're going to keep having people be uh, having to buy CV points or bullet points on their CV, then we need to just be really upfront that that's what we want. And then you could just, you know, submit a $400 check in your poster. <laughs> have someone else have an undergrad present it for you. Um, but yeah, we could talk about, we should, we'll do a specific conference uh, podcast at one point, an entire podcast, podcast episode, and pick that apart more. <laughs> but uh, to our, the actual main other portion of our episode today, organizing your semester and uh, I think this is an important part of the front-loading your work. Um, I know you talk a lot about that in R, and this week, and last week, and the week before my first three weeks of school. It's really occurred to me that, uh, unlike in my job, where like things kind of popped up, and when they popped up, I had to deal with them. That was kind of the style of the workload. Mm -hmm. There were now I have deadlines to meet. You know projected timelines for different non like out non schoolwork projects that I want to do and um, it's the first time I've had a lot of things going all at once with overlapping timelines in a while and so I don't know first I want to like ask you like how did you deal with that when you first started and like do you do anything different now that you know better <laughs> The I think it is that that planning bit that you want to spend a lot of time with. 
And I think this was inspired by a, a tweet that we saw about planning out your semester. And I think that was one thing that I found myself doing a little bit more where I would take the syllabus and download all of the readings. I found that that was one of the, the more time consuming bits and getting ready for the like, oh, I need to go read that I didn't have the reading. So like going and downloading it. And then sometimes that just takes a little bit of time. And then you're like, oh, I can do this tomorrow. And then you don't do it. Um, but at the beginning of the semester, just set like a weekend aside where you plan out your 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 semester. Um, and what was really nice is that you can then like in my on my computer, I have a a folder for each and every year. And then within each of those folders, I have the different semesters. And then in each of those semesters, I'll have a separate folder for each class. And then I try to break that down even more. Um, but then it's really nice because then on my desktop, I can just have here is fall 2016. And I can go in and like everything is right there. It's really nice too when you look back and you're like, I did this one class and I remember doing writing this R code and it's right there. You're ready to go. You can just pull it up. And then having all the readings organized, I think, is a, is a big first step. And you can use Zotero, which you have to you have to like Zotero if you're listening to us. That's a entrance criteria. It's essential. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did that for my first week of classes. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so organized. Sorry, I have a cat on my lap just to be descriptive. He's been whiny all day. And I feel like this is like talking about a child. But the first time he's been quiet and well behaved is since I until just now is when he's been in my arms. So he's like, all Hello. Calm for the first time in a while. So this episode is brought to you by Mowgli. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you, Mowgli. Mowgli, who helps out with procrastination. Now he's out of the room. Um, but yeah, uh, but I think it's so easy to like feel like for me at least that like I'm three weeks into the semester and I'm like, oh, well, I didn't organize well enough. It's too late. I'm just going to have to take things as they go. Mm -hmm. um, because my original plan was to this weekend um, was to like go in and like do all of this organization. But then I just had like a positive and great like life thing come up where um, I had a um, partner come to visit me. And so my partner came to visit me um, and we hadn't seen each other in a while. And so we wanted to spend some time together. And so I had to kind of like make a call that my like front loading organization had to hold off. But uh, it's something that I can do this weekend. Um, mm -hmm. And I know it's going to make my life so much easier. So I just have to kind of like sit down, turn on a podcast or turn on like something like TV and just like spend maybe two or three hours downloading these readings and like organizing them in that way. And I'm also going to try and set up GitHub for my coding um, this semester, which I'd like to think is going to work out great. Um, but I'll also kind of have backed up files so I can figure things out. And we're required for my class to do R Markdown, which I think is great. Um, so I'll have all my R Markdown files for every one of my classes. And I think that'll be, that'll be or not every one of my classes, but my uh, staff's class. So I think that'll be really helpful. 
yeah, I think any way that you can plan things out and use like Google Calendar can be really helpful to have a like a even specific class to class. You can set up different calendars and then have different deadlines. Um, sometimes I usually go back and forth between having some digital representation of a to-do list or planning out the semester or having a physical calendar and just finding what works for you is really what what we want and what you you probably want um and identifying where are things that you could be save a little bit of time for you either in the short term or the long term and if it is at the beginning downloading all of these papers which please use Google Scholar plug in, use Zotero to organize things, get your citations together, uh, use or don't use Sci-Hub. I think that's our official stance. Yeah, don't use it. Yeah, but you can definitely do that. So I decided one of uh, one of the things I did was um, it was partially for a class, but I um, downloaded a strategic. I made a strategic plan for myself with all my major deadlines. And um, so just like a step-by-step -step plan for all these major deadlines of like what needs to be done for them. And yeah, I see you're using it. smart goals. Yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't have done this in such detail if it weren't for like a class. Um, but like having to write down every single deadline was like temporarily very stressful. Um, but also was really helpful because it made me like think like, okay, well, I definitely can't procrastinate because these things are going to sneak up from on me mm -hmm. and it also made me realize like there are going to be these uh really critical periods of the semester where i'm gonna have a lot due and so it's just been a really long time since i've had that sort of structure to my you know like semester's worth of time uh and so making sure that i you know have that is um kind of essential um so that was a kind of fun thing i think that that's definitely something that can be really helpful and if you maybe we can share that or share like a template of it if yeah, you don't yeah. want to share your specific one yeah i think people are going to realize how weird i am but um <laughs> yeah but um i think that it's good to like set goals even if this is kind of a dumb everyone, everyone knows it's good to set goals but i think it's also like okay to set goals that you know are like reaches for you because i have a few in there that like me doing r every other day is or like working in r every other day is probably not gonna happen but if it does like i will be really thrilled and if i could if i do like the occasional tidy tuesday then i think that'll be really good for me and i'll be really happy i'm also a big person do you do this i like do a lot of tracking like behavioral tracking no, okay. No, uh, I, I, for some reason, it like, I have a reaction to it. It doesn't motivate me. It's depressing. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm just like, well, I am unproductive or something like that. I just, and I think this goes along with the like, find out what works for you. But it sounds like mm -hmm. behavioral tracking is, is something that you really enjoy. Yeah, it, it is like right now and it hasn't always been. So like back when I was in Illinois and I was like trying to work on this draft um, and also 
working full time, I tried to say like, okay, I'm going to write six days a week. And that turned out to be like tracking that was just like made me avoid things more because I'd miss one day mm -hmm. or like I'd miss a few days and I'd be like, oh, well, like this whole month is effed. And so like I just uh, felt like it was just like a tracking my failures instead of tracking my successes. Yeah. And so it's currently something that's working out for me. Um, it's because I think I have like three things going and I'm trying to like run every day, write every day and do core every day, which, which is a window into me being uh, a fitness nerd and just a nerd nerd. Um, but it's been really great because I've been like able to check it off. And I've also been able to be like, Oh, like, okay, I got two out of three. That's great. And um, I feel really good about it. And then it makes me want to keep doing it. Um, but I also, there are times when it hasn't worked for me. So I think it, you know, reflects our previously discussing, like sometimes things will change for you or it'll work really well for a while and then won't. Yeah. Um, I also have, and it's yeah. Okay yeah. And I also have this like idea um, now that I'm working in one space all the time, it's like, this is out the window, but I used to have places where I'd be like, I'm really productive here. And then like one day I would randomly not be productive there. And then it would throw off every other time I worked there. Cause I'd be like, well, I'm not always productive here. Oh no. <laughs> Spiraling. Which is how I came up with like 10 different work spots when I was in college. I'd be like, well, okay, sometimes I need to work with a law school library um, and hope they don't kick me out for not being a law student. Sometimes I need to work in the basement of this like random building because one time I worked really well here, <laughs> et cetera. Uh, I, luckily, I'm old enough that I won't do that stuff anymore. I think my, my thing was always like with the tracking, if I ended up doing the tracking, I've reflected on this now as like a like a Schrodinger's cat situation where if I don't record it, then that means I didn't fail at it. So I don't record it. And then it's like, did I do it or did I not? Oh, that's totally what I did too. Yeah, no, no, that's actually what happened to me last year when I was trying to. It was I was like, I was like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. I was failing. And then I was like, well, I'm not gonna track it at all. And then we won't know. Yeah, and then who? But the answer is still no. Yeah, maybe by the end something will have happened, but we all know that no, that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, and I know some people who are like, if I just write, like I have it set aside, so all I have to do is write two hundred words, and I always end up writing more. And that strategy has like a fifty percent success rate with me, and so I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that works for you but i'm mostly just jealous because that's not mm -hmm. how it works for me or like people do this with running all the time they're like you don't have to go for a long run just run a mile you'll always run more i was like no sometimes i'm just like i really want to run after a mile yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah and just knowing that i know that yeah yeah same with like when as i was writing my my prelim i realized that there are times when i shift into working late at night because everybody's asleep and I don't have to worry about like, oh, am I spending too much time on the computer and not with my, like my daughter? Um, and so I would almost, I would just work almost all night or like for long stretches. And then eventually that's not sustainable. So it like kind of goes back and forth, but you, you end up finding these patterns or things that do work for you. And then try them out for a while. So maybe downloading all of these, all of your readings at the beginning of the semester will be great. 
Um, but then there's a high likelihood that your professor will be like, oh, we're going to skip around a little bit. And then your whole organization system is just out the window. Um, but you still have all the papers there, which is nice because sometimes you'll have to go back to your syllabi, maybe in a later course or things like that, where you can, like you're teaching somebody and you're like, oh, I think we covered this. And you can look back at the syllabus and you can see, well, this was when we were supposed to read it. And then it's in this folder and you've got it right there. So again, think about your your future self and not like screwing yourself over. I love that. No, I actually, I had this moment, um, an analog version of this moment in that I, um, when I was working in my NSF, uh, application I was like oh I remember this thing from a talk I went to two three years ago and I was like well I used to keep copious notes in a daily journal like at that time and I know I was that kind of anxious that I would have <laughs> recorded that exact like random lecture I went to and mm -hmm. sure enough I like it took me a really long time. This is why you shouldn't do things analog, even though sometimes it's nice. And if it's a journal, like you do you because it's just a journal. Um, yep. And you shouldn't write every thought and every talk you go to excessively written out like me. Um, but I like searched through it and I found it and I was so excited. I was like, a record. I was like, it was just like, it was so exciting. Um, that is awesome. And I was so glad I saved that for myself. Yeah. And um, it was kind of this like perfect example of like, oh, I, it wasn't important to me for the longest time. Uh, nine times out of 10, I wouldn't have seen a purpose to that like one you know, bullet point in that lecture or like whatever it was, but I recorded it anyway. And mm -hmm. then it was useful later on. Um, and not to do it in such a fine grained way like I did, but like there are ways that it'll be really functional and helpful to you. Um, yeah. So, I also want to discuss like one more thing because I know you're a night owl and I saw this cool tweet that was like, not cool necessarily, but like it just brought up this really good point is that we really, um, a big thing that we do is like in research and a lot of like productivity things, we overemphasize like being an early bird and waking up early to do work. Mm -hmm. And then people who can't do that work in that kind of way, like feel like very like other not the right word but like feel like left out and like they're mm -hmm. doing something wrong um how like how's that been for you no but like um I feel like how, garbage like, cake <laughs> what have you found like works for you and has it been like have you had any like struggles with being like oh well this isn't the way a lot of people tell you it and how does that i think over the years of like just being a, a graduate student when you're first starting out, you're taking in a lot of information from other people and thinking about, oh, well, they do it this way. They're successful and they're doing a, they're doing great in what their area is. And so you try to model that and that isn't doesn't always work. Um, so I think over the years, I've tried to identify when like listening some of what we talked about earlier on i think in one of our earlier episodes who knows what are we doing here i don't know uh <laughs> that listening to your your body and understanding when you've pushed your mind far enough um so there are times when 
I feel more like a morning person and can wake up and do some work. And then once my daughter's awake, then shift into dad mode and be able to to do that. Um, other times it's like, nope, can't do that right now. So I'll work later in the evening. And just being able to to have that flexibility, I'm really grateful for. But I almost wish that I had listened to that earlier and recognized when I was feeling most productive and really capitalizing on that um, because you are you are your own self. You're going to know your body better than anybody else when you feel most productive and listen to that. And that could be for writing. It could be for running. It could be for anything else that you're doing. Like there are peak performance times and just being aware of that. I think will be really helpful. There's a book that by Steve Magnus and someone, uh, Brad Stolenberg or something. It's called peak performance and hmm. they do a good job talking about those things and like not burning out. Um, I think there's a good point there too. And like, I think a lot of times we uh, make space for like the, for like the idealized versions of ourselves and plan for that yeah. version and you know this isn't anything new if you're like everyone has always said this but it's like the planning fallacy uh, and mm -hmm. the more you can like align yourself and be realistic with who you are and how you work I think the better off you're going to be and I'm struggling to figure that out right now so it's good to know that you have it figured out five years in I think I have like it. I'm able to to do things, but that's about it. Uh, like, but realizing again, giving yourself the permission to to change that, and don't feel like you need to because it has worked two weeks ago that you should be expecting to have that same work schedule again. Things have changed. Uh, there might be new stressors. There might be things that you've solved that are just going to change your work schedule and being trying to have that flexibility and giving yourself permission to do that, I think can be really helpful. That's great. Um, and I think we should probably end our discussion there since uh, we're about at time. Yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes over. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, for future directions, uh, Dustin, do you have something on doc or should I start? Uh, kind of to go with our conversation earlier, I have checked out a book from the library that I'm really looking forward to read. It's called The Lady Tasting Tea. Have you heard of this one, Kate? No. <laughs> this is all about a uh, statistician that basically founded Frequentist Statistics. And the idea that we originally have about this is that statistics and comparison between groups was developed to compare crops to one another. That, like that was how it was initially developed. Um, turns out that it was actually because Fisher's wife or girlfriend at the time, they were having a big conversation and she claimed that she could, she knew if he had put the milk in first before the tea or the tea and then the milk. And so he basically developed what we know as statistics today to prove his wife wrong. And it's, it's this idea of That's like awesome. this narrative and history perspective on the development of statistics um, and and just like the biases that existed and like in the development of it. So I'm really looking forward to reading that. 
That's awesome. Um, so my recommendation is actually an essay I read earlier today that I really loved. It's by Emily Radajewski. I don't know how to say her last name. She's the model um, who's, she wrote this essay in the cut and I've just been thinking about it all day. It's really good. It's kind of sad. Um, but uh, I, it's just, I don't know, it's a really good read and she's such a smart um, writer that it was, insightful and really fascinating um so that's my one uh the other is making time for your friends and making time for uh comedy in your life um if you're listening to this don't tell my friend max but i made an account to troll him uh he likes to tweet a lot and he's now a professor at a university in illinois and so i made an account called we rate max uh, the handle is at we rate max one if you want to follow it. And so I started just, uh, I made this fake account and I started just like retweeting all of his tweets and rating them like people do with like dogs, like they're like for their dogs, we rate dogs. dogs and cats. Yeah, we rate dogs, we rate cats, also great. Um, and I just like, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then like, I'll tell him in a few hours. But then he like sent a message to a group of friends in our group message saying, oh my gosh, one of my students did this, which was delightful and I'm thrilled. He has no idea it's me. Um, and so please, please don't tell him if you're listening to this, Max, which you aren't, um, then got you. <laughs> um, uh. But yeah, if you see any good tweets by him that you want me to rate, then let me know he thinks it's a specific student and he's already talked about it with the faculty in his department um, about who they suspect it is. So um, I'm thrilled. It's like a bright spot uh, in my day. I, every once in a while, every like day at some point, I'll just check his tweets and then retweet them with a rating. And it just brings like joy into my life. So I hope you guys check out this book, this article, and troll your friends in a nice and constructive and not, you know, mean or bullying kind of way. Yeah. So would you suggest listeners to not follow Max, but but follow the account? Or uh, oh, um, what do you think would be a good way to, or just follow him? Don't follow him. Uh, follow okay. <laughs> Max. You'll see all his tweets. There you go. So follow that maybe start rating us. Yeah, and here is our outro. The you can grad is on a vacation. <laughs>